But I'm gonna tell you something, guys. I'm proud of you for this reason. You, you, you have faith in yourself. You have faith in each other. You keep encouraging one another like we talk about all the time, and you believe. And that's what faith is about. And you guys have it. But hey, before, before we get out of here, we gotta get at least one. You ready? Go ahead. One, two, three. That was what the Jacksonville Jaguars locker room sounded like last weekend, right after the fighting pride of Duval County pulled off one of the biggest comebacks in NFL playoff history. And they were not the only team whose self-belief got tested, by the way. Pretty much every other game was close at halftime, and it felt like a collection of, yeah, small miracles were needed to make it out of the fourth quarter. So today, our friend Bill Barnwell tells us what a rational data-driven football fans should actually have faith in and what we should know about a divisional round where anything does seem possible i'm pablo torre it's thursday january 19th and this is espn daily so bill i demand that we start in the afc here Mm. we're starting with saturday afternoon we're starting with the jags and the chiefs the first game chronologically of the divisional round yes Trevor Lawrence is coming into Arrowhead off of this game that was, yes, one of the three biggest comebacks in NFL playoff history. Mm-hmm. And so when you watch that game, when you rewatch that game, what did it actually teach you about Jacksonville? What's the formula here for how the Jags could maybe do this again? We've talked a lot on various platforms about all the things the Chargers did to lose this game. Yes. And that's unfair because the Jaguars also held up their end of the bargain in coming back on offense in the second half. And I think there was a very clear plan for Doug Peterson, the Jaguars head coach, and Trevor Lawrence, the star quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and that was get the ball out quickly. Trevor Lawrence got the ball out in just under 2.4 seconds on average with his pass attempts in the second half of that game. The second fastest time for any quarterback in the second half of the wild card round. And subsequently, the Chargers and a very frustrated Joey Bosa, who could not help himself but throwing his helmet repeatedly, <laughs> pressured Lawrence repeatedly on just 8% of his dropbacks, down from 20% in the first half, and the second lowest rate for any quarterback in the second half of a playoff game over the last five seasons. A lot of seconds and a lot of fives in that sentence, I will admit, but you get the idea. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence... Yeah had plenty of time to throw, was getting the ball out quick, and they moved the ball up and down the field. This is a problem for the Kansas City Chiefs, who were, on the whole, about a league-average pass defense this season, but they were particularly vulnerable when the pass rush did not get home. The Chiefs allowed a 76.6 QBR when they were not able to get pressure on the opposing quarterback, which was dead last in the National Football League. Which does seem like a big problem, Bill, now that you mentioned it. (laughs) If Lawrence is able to be his own best pass protector and get the ball out quickly, he should have opportunities to make plays against the defense and a secondary that's kind of still figuring things out as we hit the postseason. So if there's an actual opportunity here to like strike at the soft underbelly of the Chiefs, their pass defense, I am curious what the Jaguars defense has in front of them now beyond the mere Mm. fact that, hey, look, it's the big boss atop the Mortal (laughs) Kombat totem pole now. Here's Patrick Mahomes. Good luck. Yes, I feel like Josh Allen is more the Goro 
of the NFL, but you're like, oh, he has he has Very more large. arms than I ex- more arms than I expected for a quarterback. Uh, but but Patrick Mahomes is a a soul stealer, someone who very difficult to beat. Your soul is mine. Your soul is, in fact, his. Yeah. Yes. The Jaguars, on the whole, not very good against tight ends. They allowed a 91.6 QBR this year on throws to tight ends, the worst mark mm. in football, which is particularly worrisome, Pablo, because they're about to play Travis Kelsey. <laughs> I don't need to tell you Travis Kelsey is good, but this is a really bad matchup of the best tight end in football against the worst tight end defense in football. Yeah, Travis Kelsey does not need more help having a Hall of Fame season. He has 110 catches already, a career-best 12 touchdowns, a career-best more than 1,300 yards receiving. And now, at least in my brain, Bill, he has one mental Photoshop of his own face onto the body of Scorpion for Mortal Kombat as he prepares to tell Jags defenders, Get over here! It's kind of the opposite. I feel like Travis Kelsey has a force field around him inside the five-yard line where he's impossible to tackle. I feel like this is more of a go-over-there situation as opposed to a (laughs) over here. But I I absolutely get what you're saying. And when you talk about a dream matchup, which is really what this is, it does feel important to also point out that Travis Kelsey may have literally spent this past weekend dreaming about it because the Chiefs were at home, they were resting, they had a bye. And yeah, presumably that team is thinking up all sorts of stuff. Pablo, there is no stronger creative force in the universe than Andy Reid getting like three or four extra days to think about a possible matchup because winning Mm. the top seed in the AFC unlocked Andy Reid's cheat codes. If you've ever had even a passing interest in the National Football League, you've probably heard about the phenomenon that is Andy Reid on extra rest. During his time as a head coach with the Eagles, and the Chiefs, when Reed gets at least 10 days of rest between his prior game and his next game, his teams have gone 30 and 6. I tell you, that's the trick to it is to try to keep the balance where the players stay sharp and, and coaches uh, still can add a couple things into the guys, uh, into their mix. Um, and then we go from there. Give an extra time to prepare <laughs> for an opponent. Conventional wisdom says Reed is simply too much time to prepare wrinkles and new tricks for overmatched competition. But even like the substance of Andy Reed's delicious secret sauce aside here, I do want to turn to the two AFC teams, Bill, that have been waiting forever, it feels like, to face each other. And actually, this is the first official duel that we're going to get between Josh Allen and Joe Burrow, which feels crazy. But you may recall that just a couple weeks ago, January 2nd was the DeMar Hamlin game. And that was Bengals-Bills in theory. But in reality, it obviously got canceled with six minutes left in the first quarter. It got erased from recorded football history after that, making the box score almost impossible to find now. Truly. But I am curious, Bill, if you saw anything during that truncated game that hints at what we might be seeing this weekend in Buffalo. Yes, uh, the NFL has tried to men in black my memories of this game, but I watched it, Pablo, really have. before the uh, before the DeMar Hamlin injury. And well, I'll tell you what I did not see in that game was defense. 
because those teams move <laughs> the ball up and down the field for their first two plus possessions before the injury stopped the game. The first thing I take away and the first thing I think about from the Bills perspective in this game is the question of how they cover the two-star Bengals receivers in Jamar Chase yes. and T. Higgins. Because the Bills, you have Stephon Diggs and you have everybody else. It's kind of simple. If you want to play man, double up Stephon Diggs, make someone else beat you. If you want to play zone, just kind of shade it towards Stephon Diggs. You can't do that with the Bengals, unfortunately. But we did just see the Bills play a team with two-star wide receivers in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. And the answer for the Bills in that game was zone. They played zone about mm. 63% of the time. And that's also probably the right way to play the Bengals because Joe Burrow this year was eighth in the NFL in QBR against man coverage, but only 20th when opposing teams played zone coverage. But in terms of what has changed since, yeah, January 2nd, in terms of what's changed on either side of this dynamic here, what sticks out the most to you? Mm, Well, it is that the Bengals offensive line is falling apart. Uh, Unfortunately, it is shedding pieces Week after week. So heading into the wild card game, Pablo, the Bengals were already down the entire right side of their line in Alex Kappa and Lyle Collins. They added another casualty to that list in the Ravens game in left tackle Jonah Williams, who suffered a dislocated kneecap in the Ravens game. I don't think Jonah Williams is going to play. Yeah, dislocate my kneecap. I am not going to work. Sorry. Team. <laughs> but if he doesn't, the Bengals are probably going to have to move Jackson Carmen from guard to tackle, which is what they did in the Ravens game. Carmen was a 2021 second round pick. He was not able to play his way into the lineup last year when the Bengals had one of the worst offensive lines in football, and he was trying to play guard then. Now he'd be playing left tackle, which is regarded as a much more difficult position in pass protection. And that's a major problem for the Bengals, who remember. Last year, made it all the way to the Super Bowl and had a lead in the second half only for their offensive line to fall apart and cost themselves the Super Bowl in the process. Yeah, I mean, Joe Burrow gets sacked seven times by the Rams in that Super Bowl. And so given what you just outlined, the triage that now is besetting the Bengals offensive line, (laughs) how can they make sure that that doesn't happen again in this game against the Bills? Well, Pablo, Joe Burrow has to rely on his best pass protector, and that is Joe Burrow. After taking 13 sacks in the first two weeks of the season, we saw Burrow really focus on getting the ball out before the pass rush could even hope to get home. Since week three, Pablo, Burrow's averaged just 2.54 seconds with the ball in his hands before throwing a pass. That's the second fastest rate in football behind the guy who leads the league in this category every season. That's Tom Brady. Mm. Burrow sped that up even further in the Ravens game, averaged just 2.38 seconds before getting the ball out in the wildcard game. And he was still sacked four times in 32 dropbacks, which tells you how little protection he had if he held onto the ball for any significant amount of time in that game. It's going to be tough for the Bills to create instant pressure on him, especially without Von Miller in the lineup, who, of course, is out for the year with a torn ACL. But one thing the Bills can do to try and confuse Burrow is throw disguised coverages in his direction. And what I mean here is you show one look pre-snap and then show a totally different look post-snap. When the Ravens disguise their coverages 
in their back-to-back games in Week 18 and the wildcard round against Burrow, he was just 12-21 for 93 yards. And, crucially, he took four sacks. The Bills disguise coverages at the fourth highest rate in football. So if you can't count on hitting Burrow and you can't count on covering his receivers, I think the best thing you can do is try and confuse him for a second or two after the snap and hope that's long enough for the pass rush to get home. So if confusing Joe Burrow is one possible solution here to slow him down, I am curious about the problem that is facing the other star quarterback in this same game. Because it feels like slowing down Josh Allen is something that the Bills might actually want to do themselves. Mm -hmm. He threw two picks in this last game. He's been throwing picks all year. So how do they slow him down slash coach him up? (laughs) I don't know if there is a way to slow down Josh Allen besides Josh Allen slowing himself up or slowing himself down, depending on which which direction you want to use. Josh <laughs> Allen's playing hero ball right now, Pablo. We talk yes. about this a lot with basketball, right? Like we talk about players like prime Russell Westbrook, where you have this guy who has incredible talents and athleticism that's absolutely impossible to coach into a player. If you need a player to create an opportunity for himself and get off a shot with the game on the line, Russell Westbrook is going to get off that shot. Mm -hmm. And if you need a player who's going to run through the flow of the offense and carry out a design play that gets the ball to somebody else with the game on the line, well, Russell Westbrook is going to get that shot off. (laughs) He's going to shoot. And that kept coming to mind for me during the Bills-Dolphins game because there were so many complaints that the offense wasn't doing much besides asking Allen to hit a long touchdown pass once or twice every single possession. No, you could basically hear people in Buffalo yelling at the TV like, are we just like trying to call the touchdown play over and (laughs) over again here? Like, what is the strategy? This was not the offense's fault. It was not Ken Dorsey, the offensive coordinator's fault. There were checkdowns and open receivers and progressions built into the plays that were being called. Allen just wasn't looking at them or attempting them. Allen was literally passing up open receivers to try and hit contested receivers downfield. He was trying to hit bomb after bomb or throws into impossible windows. And yes, of course, because he's Josh Allen, that led to some incredible plays and ridiculous passes. It did. It also led to interceptions. And on top of that, Pablo, I would argue the Miami game plan on defense was designed specifically to encourage Allen to play hero ball. The Dolphins blitz Mm. on nearly 42% of their dropbacks, the second highest rate of any team during the wildcard round. They sold (laughs) out to try and generate pressure, keep Allen from scrambling, and create big plays for the defense like sacks and turnovers. It nearly won them the game with a third-string quarterback. I love the idea that the Dolphins almost rope-a-doped Josh Allen into being knocked out of the playoffs. (laughs) Does that feel, though, like a blueprint For the Bengals' defense then on Sunday, because these are not the same defense. I'm open to that possibility because Bengals' defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo, is very creative and his defense can be very flexible. Go back to the AFC Championship game last year. The Bengals were down 11 points at halftime, came within a yard of being down 18 points at halftime. They were struggling to stop the Chiefs and Anarumo had a solution. They morphed into a defense that dropped eight men into coverage regularly against the Chiefs, which teams almost never do. And Andy Reid, as smart as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are, they didn't have an answer that helped the Bengals come back and win that game. Right. The Bengals are not typically a blitz-heavy team, but remember earlier 
when I said the Dolphins blitzed at the second highest rate in football during the wild card round? The team that blitzed more often, the team that blitzed at the highest rate in football, were the Bengals, who blitzed Tyler Huntley more yes. than 51% of the time in the wild card round, more than twice their typical week to week average. So the fascinating story for that side of the ball in this game is seeing whether the Bengals continue what the Dolphins did. If they want to blitz Allen in most passing situations, dare him to avoid his own instincts, and whether Ken Dorsey and the Bills coaching staff can convince Allen to paint between the lines. All right, Bill, coming up, the NFC, and whether we have finally been convinced by Daniel Jones. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from $25 and under to, say, $100 and below. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. So, Bill, we have left Mortal Kombat behind, at least for now. You never know on this show. But we're in the NFC. We are starting here with the Giants visiting the heavily favored Eagles on Saturday night. And I really want to start this one by just laying out the stakes here because this is both the stakes for Daniel Jones and the stakes for us because yes. I feel like we need to talk about how we talk about Daniel Jones to now mm. begin a think piece with you. <laughs> so yes. Is there, is, there, is there a formal apology to Daniel Jones, the quarterback of the Giants, riding on this specific game? Where are we? I feel like we in the take economy may already owe Daniel Jones an apology, Pablo. Last week, I mentioned that Daniel Jones had been the league's best quarterback by QBR over the final month of the season. And his lead in that category has only continued to grow after a sterling performance against the Vikings in the wildcard round. Jones was 24 of 35 for 301 yards with two touchdowns and ran all over Minnesota in the first half of that contest. Let's say this is a little like playing NBA Jam against your five-year-old brother who doesn't really mm. know how the buttons work and just spams the pass button over and over again and doesn't <laughs> score. The Vikings in this matchup are the five-year-old brother. They're a team that typically plays a lot of conservative zone coverage to try and avoid big plays. Now, Jones posted a 91.9 QBR against that zone coverage, and he throws the shortest average pass of anybody in football already and continued naturally to do that in the wild card round. So the Vikings were trying to take away the thing the Giants don't really want to do and permitted them to do the thing they do best 
And on top of that, <laughs> they didn't tackle. The Giants generated 7.6 no. yards after catch per reception in this game, the second most they've had in any contest this entire season. But speaking of all that running around, a key part of this think piece, I think, is just whether defenses that play Daniel Jones are just still being surprised by how much Daniel Jones runs. I feel like quarterbacks who can scramble are, are becoming more and more like a, a game shark for NFL offenses. This is what I learned in Madden, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's entirely fair. Uh, Daniel Jones played Madden, grew up and said, I can be Michael Vick, or at least close to Michael Vick, <laughs> if I just Correct. scramble. I looked at the expected points added charts for rushers, which is the NFL stat that uh, just determines how many points your expected score on offense given a particular down and distance and how much that changes on each given play. In terms of rushers this season, the top 16 players in terms of generating value for their teams on the ground as runners this season are all quarterbacks. Mm. Despite the fact that they're on the ball far less often than running backs. In the wild card round, we saw plenty of big plays, but Daniel Jones had twice as much rushing expected points added as any other player in football, mm. despite the fact that he only really had 13 rush attempts. So the question then, just to put it very simply here, is why? Why did defenses struggle with this so much still? Defenses don't really have a great way to deal with scrambling passers without disrupting their defense or selling out with loads of blitzes. I think the only difference is that the Eagles have a better pass rush than the Vikings and should have a better shot at keeping Jones in the pocket to begin with. And the job of the Giants defense here on now Saturday night is also to keep Jalen Hurts in his pocket, right? Like this was a defense that was kind of banned, but don't break against Minnesota. Mm -hmm. They did not let Justin Jefferson at least break them. They held him to 47 yards receiving, which was mm -hmm. shocking to me. They're now pretty healthy. So how good is the Giants' defense really, would you say? Not very good. Uh, I, I know <laughs> they, they did keep Justin Jefferson in brackets for most of this contest, did get a touchdown, but certainly one catch in the second half, not yeah. part of the Minnesota game plan. And Kirk Cousins did struggle late in that game, but still posted an 87 QBR. He was 31 of 39 for 273 yards, had the highest completion percentage over expected of any quarterback in the wild card round. I think the Vikings mm. did just fine on offense in this contest. And Pablo, I think the thing that sustained this Giants defense during that really hot start to the season was miraculously getting great in the situations that mattered most. I'll give you an example. During the first half of the year, the Giants were 26th in expected points added per play outside the red zone. So for the first 80 yards of the field, they were pretty terrible. Yeah. But once they got inside the 20-yard line, once they had to keep teams from scoring touchdowns, they morphed into the best defense in football by the same metric. Mm. They were the league's fourth worst defense on first and second down. But once they got to third and fourth down, they were the third best defense in football. <laughs> It would be great if teams could just flip a switch and be good in the situations where it matters most, but history tells us that's not the case. You can be the person who doesn't study for the test and shows up and still gets an A for, for a few months. But eventually, mm. you're going to run into harder tests and you're going to fail. And that's what happened to the Giants during a very inconsistent second half of the season. 
And that team, by the way, this test that the Giants now have to take, they are favored, Philly is, by more than a touchdown at the moment. This feels, based on what I've heard from you, like a potential blowout. So what is the Giants' best chance to win against this version of the Eagles? By the regular season numbers, this looks like a blowout. The Eagles are one of the best teams in football. The Giants, charitably, are not. But we don't know that we're going to get the regular season version of the Eagles in the postseason because the Eagles are banged up, which is something they were not for very much of the regular season. There are two key players Mm. on the Eagles offense who are going to be playing this weekend, but they might not be 100%. That could transform our idea of what the Eagles actually are on that side of the ball. And one, of course, very obviously, is Jalen Hurts, returned from his shoulder injury in Week 18 to beat a Giants team that was mostly resting. They're meaningful starters. Daniel Jones, the best quarterback in football who I mentioned earlier, did not play (laughs) in that game. Hurts threw the ball fine for a guy with an injured shoulder, but they were very particular about what they didn't have Hurts do. Hertz has been the most aggressive runner in the league on designed and called runs this year, and they only had him take the ball on one designed run that entire mm. game, a quarterback sneak. Hertz is incredibly valuable at that stuff, and it's very important for them in the red zone. And without that option, that same Giants defense that I mentioned had fallen apart in the red zone, yeah. held the Eagles to one touchdown on five red zone trips in Week 18. Now, Nick Sirianni, Eagles head coach, admitted after the game that Hurts was sore and refused to answer whether Hurts would be playing through pain in the postseason. It's not like he was he was perfect out there in sense of as far as his um, what he felt like, right? We didn't feel like there was more risk, but you know, I know he was hurting. He was hurting bad, and uh, I don't think the Eagles stuff. wanted to play Jalen Hurts after that shoulder injury. I think they only played him in Week 18 out of sheer necessity to get the first round by, and admittedly, he's had another week of rest. If Hertz is the guy we have saw from most of the regular season as an MVP candidate, the Giants are in trouble. But if he's the guy we saw in Week 18 who isn't running with the football, Giants have a much better shot at stopping one of the league's most explosive offenses. So protecting Jalen Hurts is of the utmost priority for this Eagles team, except that also feels like, based on the injury concern here, another concern. Yes, There are multiple myriad concerns here, Pablo. And the other one is star right tackle Lane Johnson, who missed the final few weeks of the year with an abdominal injury. The injury almost immediately shut down the offense under Gardner Minshew. The Eagles were moving the ball effectively on the Cowboys. Once Johnson went out, they stopped moving the ball effectively, ended up losing that game. And they couldn't do anything without Johnson against the Saints the following week. We have a decade-long trend for this one suggesting the Eagles are a much different offense without Johnson on the field. Carson Wentz, very notably, played much worse when Johnson was not in the lineup. Hurts is a different kind of quarterback, to be fair, and Johnson is going to play in this game. But if he's not his usual self, the Giants and perhaps Kayvon Thibodeau could be able to take advantage. So some magic might be required here for the Giants to pull this off. But it does feel like if anyone has a mastery of magic, it is Kayvon Thibodeau, the aforementioned pass rusher, who wore a literal, like, top hat, a magician's (laughs) top hat, (laughs) after they won their game against the Vikings. He also wore pajamas after the game, which is the first time I've ever been able to relate to an NFL player in terms of wearing pajamas out and hoping somebody finds me cool. (laughs) Yeah, you said he's bringing back something old school and making it look sexy, Bill. That is a quote, which also kind of reminds me of Cowboys Niners. 
And that's after the break. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. But now we go to the Cowboys-Niners thing because the Cowboys-Niners thing was preceded by Dak Prescott looking like he also had, I don't know, cast a magic spell that erased every concern (laughs) that you may have had while watching Dak Prescott this season, right? I mean, this was the guy who led the league in interceptions Mm -hmm. and he had four touchdowns passing, one touchdown on the ground, no picks. And so is everything good now, Bill? Like, is this what we can expect to see against the Niners, what he did against the Bucs? There's never been a time where the Cowboys looked good for a week and we all forgot about their issues and then they struggled the following (laughs) week, Pablo. But admittedly, (laughs) by Cowboys standards, this was a particularly impressive performance. Dak Prescott had a 96.5 QBR in the win over the Buccaneers, the second best performance by any quarterback in a game this season. Mm. And admittedly, he got some help. Buccaneers not do a great job of pressuring Dak Prescott in this game, especially on third down, where Dak Prescott had all day to throw. The Buccaneers only pressured Prescott on 18.9% of his dropbacks in that game, the third fewest of any Prescott start this season. Now, if you're counting on the 49ers to be that friendly towards Dak Prescott, I would not do so. The 49ers have topped that 18.9% mark in 17 of their 19 games so far this season. And every quarterback gets worse when they're pressured, but there's a bigger drop-off for Dak than most. He's the third-best passer in football when he isn't pressured, but he's 12th in the NFL when teams do get pressure on him. And the team, the unit that's going to be imposing all of that pressure this weekend, the Niners defense, what do they have in store for the Cowboys when they line up across from them? A lot of pain. I mean, this is a really, (laughs) really good Niners defense that did excellent work, especially in the second half against Geno Smith to shut down a Seahawks offense that did have some success, admittedly, during the first half of that game. And it's difficult for the Cowboys for reasons that are unique to them relative to really anyone else 
in football. The Cowboys have pretty enviable offensive line depth, but they don't have a settled offensive line. Not many teams are pulling out new combinations of offensive linemen for the first time in the playoffs. For this week 19 wild card round game against the Buccaneers. For the first time, the Cowboys started Jason Peters, the 40-year-old who was not in the NFL to start the season at left tackle. Mm. They have Tyron Smith, their Hall of Fame caliber left tackle, playing right tackle. Tyler Smith, their first-round pick who spent most of the year at left tackle, kicked inside to left guard, and then Peters hurt his hip during the game, which is what happens to most of us who are at or near 40 years old, and did not return. Cowboys have that depth. They bring bring in Connor McGovern, who's a very good player to play guard. They move Smith back outside. But this is a team that would align totally differently if it were week one. And I think given the inexperience that some of these players have at these positions, given that they have not been as effective as you might expect in those new roles, I'm intrigued to see, number one, how the Cowboys line up, and then number two, what they do against maybe the league's best pass rush in San Francisco. So if the Niners arguably have the league's best pass rush, and they also seem to have the best offensive weapons in the entire sport, I do want to keep on punting Brock Purdy down and down in our list of objects of interest here because they have Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle and Mm -hmm. Brandon Ayuk and all these guys healthy really together for the first time. You said pain awaits the offense that faces the Niners' defense. What awaits the defense that plays this offense? Also pain. Two pains happening (laughs) in this matchup between the Cowboys and the Niners. Because the reason I said arguably about the Niners pass rush is that the Cowboys might have the best pass rush in football. And I think the Mm. solution for any defense that wants to try and stop an offense that has a ton of playmakers is just to get pressure on the quarterback and make all those guys irrelevant. The Cowboys had the best pressure rate in football this year by five percentage points, significantly ahead of everyone else at 39.1%. They have Micah Parsons, who's comfortable rushing against the interior, moving around the formation. So for the aforementioned Brock Purdy, there's no question. This is going to be the toughest matchup for him in terms of pass pressure that he's had in any of his starts so far. And naturally, there's an obvious goal. Get the ball out quickly to guys like McCaffrey, Debo, Kittle, and try to neutralize that rush. The Bucs had the idea on offense, try and take advantage of the aggressiveness from the Cowboys defense with screens, leak, fakes, double moves, and it did not work for the entirety of that game. (laughs) So all, all Brock Purdy has to do in his seventh career NFL start is just be better at all that stuff than Tom Brady. (laughs) Wait, before, before we truly kickstart that news cycle, I do want to check in on another character in the play that was this Cowboys Bucks game. Because has anyone checked on Brett Maher, Bill? Like, <laughs> I, I, I legitimately, uh, I, I grew uncomfortable watching this game for now just that reason. Of Brett Maher trying to hit an extra point. He's missed three tonight, four in a row. And he has done it again. They might be looking for a kicker next week. There's very few times in the NFL you get from comedy to genuine concern and sadness about a player not doing well. And it turns out four extra points does that for me. I really went from, oh my God, I can't wait to see this kicker 
miss an extra point again to, oh my God, I hope that he's okay and doesn't have to try any more kicks for the rest of his life after seeing him become the first player in NFL history to miss four extra points in a game and doing that on national television in a playoff game in a row. Morton Anderson is out here tweeting. He's putting his leg on the curb and showing a little ankle to the Dallas Cowboys at age what? Let's let's Google this. How old is Morton Anderson, do you think, right now, Bill? I would guess he's 61 years old. Morton Anderson is 62. Ooh. <laughs> well-aged. Well-aged Morton oh, Anderson. What a vintage. Pablo, what a vintage is correct. Because really, if you think about it, Adam Vinatieri played well into his 40s. Kind of feels yes. like if there's any position you could be successful at if you're 62 years old, it kind of feels like it might be place kicker. <laughs> I do love the idea of Morton Anderson coming back, leading to Tom Brady being like, well, f*** it. Now I got to do this again. <laughs> to be clear, we know that the Cowboys may need a kicker. And if Tom Brady is done with the Buccaneers, I don't know if there's anything in the rule book that says he can't go kick extra points for the Cowboys and win another Super Bowl that way. <laughs> oh, Bill Barnwell, thank you for putting your foot into yet another episode of ESPN Daily. Pablo, thank you for joining me in our Mortal Kombat friendship. <laughs> victory. Torre, this has been ESPN Daily, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.